I want to share on a topic um, this morning that I've named Facing Your Faith. And I want to minister on this subject because I think we live, we do, in a very democratic government society. Whether we like it or not, with all the restrictions and everything going on, we still very much have freedom of religion in our country. And I remember growing up and, you know, listening to all the stories that was happening around the world and, and how many people were martyred and how many people were killed for their faith. I've heard the stories of, in China, some people have got one page of the Bible and that's all they got. And it's not just that they got one page of the Bible, that they prepared to die for that one page of the Bible. I remember when, when communist Russia started to fall and, and how they used to maul out, haul out the Christians and how they would make them tear out pages of the Bible and denounce Christ or be shot. And how many believers in those days got executed for their faith. How many people were hung for their faith in the, around the world in the centuries that have gone past. And this week I was, was looking for something in the top of my cupboard and on the top of my cupboard I got this big bag of, of caps that I used to collect. And I remember pulling out the bag and as I pulled out the bag this, this cap fell out. You know this cap that we used to have that I love Jesus on it? And I actually picked up the, the cap and I went, jeepers, I used to wear this. And in that moment, there was this conviction that came upon me. This conviction that came upon me that it was almost like the enemy said, so would you wear it today? And almost my first response would be, I don't know. And that was unsettling for me. It was unsettling for me because we live in society where we really don't declare the goodness and the grace and the mercy of our Lord. We're more interested, is, is this cap fashionable? You know, will this cap go with my outfit? Um, what would people think of me wearing the shirt? Oh, oh, there goes the Jesus freak. And, and we all, in some way or another, get challenged. And as, as I was standing there challenged, the scripture came to mind where, where, where the word says that if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father in heaven. And I, I sat back and I thought for a second, how much of what we do do we deny who Christ is in our lives? By our actions, by the things that we say, by the things that we do. We don't have to fight for a Bible. I think every person's room has got a minimum of three Bibles in their room, in their house. And yet there are countries in the world, as I said, where people have one page. There are countries in the world right now that, that haven't got any Bibles. And before the pandemic hit, we, we were those brave Christians, those brave leaders, remember, that said, well, Lord, doesn't matter if they take away the church, we will meet under a tree in the park when we have to. And then they took away the church, and we found nobody under the tree in the park. You see, what we confess with our mouths, often we deny with our lifestyles. And don't get me wrong, there's a pandemic out there. But I also want to tell you there's a Jesus out there. And it's great to preach. And it's great to be this good Christian in church. And please, don't get me wrong, hear you this morning. I'm not here to condemn you. I'm not here to make you feel guilty this morning. I want you to hear what God has laid in my heart. And what God has shared in the Word. And, and I'm going to share one of my favorite scriptures. Now, I've shared it with you 500 times. But there's a real challenge in our hearts is this, is the church standing up? Is the church standing up? That somewhere along the line, even as believers, 
We, we've allowed, and, and, and please, hear me here, but we've allowed casinos and restaurants and bars and everything to open, and yet we're content with the fact that we're only allowed to be 50 or 100 in the church. The abortion rules have been passed in our country. And I guarantee you, 99% of you sitting in this room here disagree with abortion. But you were silent. Because sometimes we're just too embarrassed or just too shy or we don't know enough to wear I love you Jesus cap. It's easy to wear I love you Jesus cap when you're in the crowd of a mighty men conference. It's easy to wear I love a Jesus cap when we're sitting in church or having a men's camp or having a men's breakfast. It's another thing when you've got to wear one of those I love Jesus t-shirts and walk through the upmarket. And our first thought is not, what would this mean to Jesus? Our first thought is, what would people think? I believe we, we come into, and I've said this many times before, one of the greatest, greatest moves of God in this world. And even as we just sang that song this morning, I just was reminded of, 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 of the Israelites that wandered for 40 years. Just wandered for 40 years. 40 years, why? Because somewhere in this journey of 40 years, like on day 10 or 12, they started to question God. 10 or 12, they don't know what they believe. This God took them out of slavery, moved them across, and all they had to do was this 12, 13-day journey and in the midst of that, they already started to complain. Already they would say, you know what? We, we would rather go back to the slave parts of Egypt than follow God, in a sense, and God's purpose and God's plan. And many of us sitting here this morning, we've just become comfortable in church life. We've become comfortable as being labeled Christians or be called Christians, but there's no work to what we're doing. There's no acceleration. There's no fruit in what is happening in our lives. We, we, we're petitioning the government right now and, and we say, God, the government, the government needs to open the churches. But I have this, this, this weird suspicion that even if the churches are opened, not much of the church is going to return. And that's sad. And that's sad because we're going to have to face up to our faith. What happens if things do start to change in our country? And things are changing. Because we've got, to, we've, got to, we've got a satanic church in our, country, in our country right now. That's approved. It falls under religion. We've got witch doctors and St. Gomez that now fall under religion. And every Tom, Dick and Harry is throwing in a new tradition. And it comes under religion. And somehow the more that gets added to this word religion is the less we hear from the church. We're somewhere along the church, the church has become comfortable with where we are. We've become comfortable reading a word and comfortable with attending a prayer meeting and a worship evening and comfortable come to church. But we don't, it doesn't impact anything when those gates get opened after the service. That's a challenge. It's a challenge. Because you see, something needs to be burning inside of you 
because I know that something was burning inside of him when he went to the cross of Calvary. You see, when he went to the cross of Calvary, whether you like it or not, he had that t-shirt on that said, I love Kurt. And he wasn't ashamed of it. He wasn't ashamed of that. When he put him on the cross, he had my t-shirt on. He had my t-shirt on. And he wasn't sad. It was a proud moment for Jesus. It was a moment that he'd lived his entire life for, was to come and redeem someone like me and someone like you. We haven't had a gun pointed to our head yet and asked us the question, are you a believer? Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe that the word of God that we read every day, hopefully, is the truth? Do we pray in such a way that we believe that whatever we ask in his name, we're going to receive it? Do we pray like that? Or do we pray for the sake of praying? You see, because when we walk out of a prayer room, everything should have changed. Why? Because the word of God says, where two or three of us are gathered in his name, there he is in the midst of us. Jesus says to disciples, whatsoever you would ask in my name, you will receive it. And with how much boldness and with how much courage do we enter the throne of grace? With how much boldness do we go to a prayer meeting? With how much boldness and, and, and a clearness of mind do we come into a worship service and go, God, we want to worship you. I don't care what it sounds like. I don't care if the piano is false. I don't care if the singers are horrible. I, I'm here for you. I'm here for you. And I'm not being religious this morning, church. I'm not being religious and I'm not being heavy, but I'm calling you out on what you were born to do. Amen. Christianity is not something that you and I accept somewhere along the line because we're in a really bad place or we were drugged for alcoholics and we needed Jesus. From the time that you breathed your first breath, you needed Jesus. From the time that you breathed your first breath, God had a purpose and God had a plan and God had a calling for your life. From the time you dreamt your first, you grabbed your first breath, there was things happening in the spiritual realm that would set you up for eternity. You see, what we do from birth to death determines where we spend eternity. We've had all these men that have had to face their faith. David was a man that had to face his faith. When you and I read the story of David, David had probably a 3% chance of surviving that fight. Let's be honest. David was fully persuaded that he was going to win that fight. There was not even a doubt about it. Not a doubt. We find Adam and Eve in the garden. They defaced their faith. The first time humanity defaced their faith and they messed it up. And they messed it up. And what was questioned? Their faith was questioned. Did God really say that? Did God really say that you can be healed? Did God really say in this word that if you lay your hands on the sick, they will be well? And we can quickly blame Adam and Eve and go, oh, they messed it up. We mess up every single day because we deny him by what we, how we live and by what we say. And I, and I want to get this through to you this morning that Christianity is not something you do. It's who you are. That someone died that you might live in the fullness that God has for you. Jesus didn't die on the cross so that we'd be worrying about how many people come to church or what the offering looks like or what, or what 
the, the membership in the church looks like, that, that's not the reason why you and I gave up everything that we are to follow Jesus. And there's a challenge in this. That if you was prepared to wear my shirt, why am I doubting? And we can, we can be these awesome Christians in church. And we can say, oh, praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Yes, we pray for the sick. But when you've got to face death, when you've got to face death for what you believe in, things change. They bulldozing churches as we speak right now in China, one after the next, Christian churches. We've got 13-year-old girls pastoring churches in caves. And they say two to 3,000 people rock up for a service. And I get challenged in that. I get challenged in that because would I be one of those in the cave? Or would I be one of those people that sit back and go, oh, well, you know, I can find Jesus in my house as well. It's not about finding Jesus in your house. It's about getting out of your house with the good news of Jesus. That's what it's about. You see, a light never has to pronounce that it's about to disperse darkness. You just flick it and it's there. Jesus never had to announce big crusades and get onto the internet like he didn't have it and Facebook and wow, this guy's preaching, this guy's preaching. That wherever he went, everything changed. Wherever his disciples went, everything changed. That when he laid hands on the sick, everything changed. That when he found someone dead in the tomb, everything changed. And I love this story, and I, I said it again, but I'll, in, in, in Daniel chapter 1, verse 2, uh, Daniel 1, 2, and 3. But we know the story. We know that Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon that time, takes and makes war, and he brings back a whole lot of things. And, and one of the things he brings back is young men, young Jewish men that are slaves. And I want you to go read it, because the Word of God says that he chose, and they, and they chose four. And Daniel, and they all had different names. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That was their new names. But right at the outset of their new life, they are challenged. Right at the outset of their new life, the king says to them, well, this is what you will eat. And right at the outset, these four guys have to make a stand. They've got to face their fear. Because if they don't obey what is being said right now, what happens? Death is the only answer. And we know that Daniel negotiates this thing. And he says to the God, tell you what, just, just let me live out my life the way I believe God has called me to. Let us eat what we believe God is telling us to eat. Let me just do what we believe God is telling us to do. And if after 10 days it doesn't work out for you, tell you what, we will follow your rules. And we know the word of God says that they came out healthy after 10 days than any of the other slaves. We know that Daniel, or son, prays every single day. And as he prays every single day, people report him. And people say to the king, king, you're not going to believe it. There's a God that's praying and he's not of our belief system. And, and he stands up there praying to the God of Jehovah every single day. And once again, Daniel has to face his faith. The king says, no. Daniel says, but this is my God. He's got my t-shirt on. 
And where does he find himself in the iron lion's den? How many of us would honestly go that far? How many of us here today would go that far? Do we believe enough in our God to be that bold? There comes a day when Nebuchadnezzar decides that he builds this massive, and I know I'm paraphrasing, but you go to the story. But he builds this massive golden statue. Massive. And he makes this declaration that basically says that the government rules everything and the government should be worshipped. And me being the head of the government, well, you're going to have to bow down to me and to the statue. And he plays the music and he gets the hops and the lures and banging away. And what happens? That the whole nation, the whole nation just fall to their faces. The whole nation. And all of a sudden there's this little guy that runs to the king. Says to him, buddy, dad, my, 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 your honor. There's these three guys. You know those Jewish guys that you brought in? Well, they refuse to bow. And we know the story where he brings them in front of him. And he says to him, you understand that everyone that does not bow to me will be thrown into the furnace. And I want to pick it up in chapter 3, verse 17. I don't want to be long. Verse 16 says, But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, oh, let's go one up, and it says this, Now if you are ready at the time, you hear the sound of the horn, the flute and the harp and the lure and the psalmist, and the symphony with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the image which I have made good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning furnace and who is the God who will deliver you from those hands? And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abed say a simple thing. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning furnace, and he will deliver us from the hands of the king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your God, nor will we worship the golden image which you have set before us. And Nebuchadnezzar, full of fury, and the expression on his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he spoke and commanded to heat up the furnace seven times stronger. He carries on and he says to him, I want you to explain. I want you to explain why you will not bow down. And the boys say this stuff. We don't have to defend our case. You know why I love that piece? Because they basically said, we are who we are. I can't defend being a male. Because everything you see looks like a male. I can't defend being white. Because everything that you see, I look white. And he said the back to the same thing. That I cannot defend something that I am. Something that I'm born and something that I believe in. And something that I'm prepared to die for. Why must I argue a case where I'm fully persuaded, convinced of? And are you fully persuaded and fully convinced in who you are this morning? The boys turned and I said, but you know what? Even if we burn to death, not one of us have faced the fire. Not one of us have faced the fire. And yet our lives crumble because of a bank account. Our lives crumble because we have to live in Lorraine and not Charlotte. 
Our lives crumble because we have to drive an Opel instead of a Toyota. Come on, come on. Am I being serious here? Hey? Our lives crumble. People say to me, my life is under attack. The devil is attacking me. The devil is attacking my marriage. You've only got one husband to deal with. Get over it. Sort him out. This is not life and death. This is not life and death. We've got people, oh, well, the church has hurt me and they left. Maybe it's a good thing they left. Maybe it's a good thing that they left. Because this cannot hurt you. You haven't even faced death in life. And all of a sudden you want to go through a pity party, a crisis. You haven't faced the furnace. We don't know what a furnace looks like. Let me take you to Iraq and Afghanistan and Iran and China. And let me show you what a furnace looks like. We've got our knickers in a knot because they closed the church down for three months. In those countries, they closed the church down permanently. Oh, we've got it so hard in this country. And I might be flippant right now, but maybe it's time that somebody becomes flippant. Maybe it's about time that somebody calls a spade a spade. Because let me tell you something, in Revelation, the Word of God says, I have this against you, that you've lost your first love. The Word of God says in Revelations that if you look warm, I will spit you out of my mouth. Can you open for the visitors? They're stuck outside. There's somebody. Thank you. That's what the Word of God says. But you see, we want this easy, happy-go-lucky, God is good, all the time kind of life. We want the perfect kids and the perfect house and the perfect car and the perfect partner and the perfect business and the perfect church and the perfect pastor. I want to tell you something. There's nothing except God that is perfect. You're chasing your tail. You have not faced the furnace. And I need to ask you this morning, what would you look like when you had to face the furnace? We're going to have to face our faith. Whether we like it, we're going to have to face our faith. Do you think that we're just going to carry on living HIPPY in this country? Slowly but surely, our very faith system is being eroded. Slowly but surely, the government is taking control of churches and what we believe. Many, many years ago, Shantong and ourselves were privileged to go, and I went to go preach in the Ukraine, pro, 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 former Russian place. And even though they've got this whole thing, they've got this religious Orthodox Church. And the religious Orthodox Churches, they wear all these fancy outfits and gowns and hats. And, but they've got no Jesus. And the only thing they're allowed to preach is what's been censored by the government. And what they can say from their pulpit is controlled by the government. And when you walk in, you've got to bow down. To some guy. My daughter was in Senate 6th grade, 8, whatever it is right now. And she went on the school camp. Remember all the little grade 8s used to go on these initiation camps. And I remember one of the things that they did was, they said that all the grade 8s had to line up and they had to bow down to the prefects. And it was a story in my life because she stood alone in the middle of that crowd. She said, the word of God says you should bow to no one but the Lord your God. 
Have you faced your faith? Have you faced the furnace? Because don't tell me what a good Christian you are. I'm not interested in how much you give the church and your finances. I don't care how many services you attend. I don't care how many people you know you feed bread to. I want to know, are you able to face the furnace? Because that, are, that is the men and women that we need to be training and building up in this church. Men and women that are fearless. Men and women that understand the calling of God upon their lives. And there's five quick points we run out of time. But there's five quick points that how you can build your faith. One, know your God. Listen to me. Don't know about Him. Don't know of Him. Know your God. Is He the God of the impossible? Is He the God of more than enough? Is He the God that heals? Is He the God that delivers? Is He the God that sets free? You've got to understand, secondly, who you are in Him. Who are you in Him? Are you a furnace facer? Are you a furnace facer? Or are you the wrong lawyer that came to Jesus in the middle of the night? They said to him, what do I need to do to be reborn? And you know what he did? He says, I've got too much wealth, and he chose to walk away. You've got to face your faith. Allow the word of God to remove any doubt in your life. That whatever doubt you have, find it in the word of God. And find your answer. Be bold and practice your faith. Be bold and practice your faith. A friend of mine told me last week that he had this dream. That he had to go to a certain street with a certain number and ask for a certain person. He went to the first house, nobody of that name was there. He went to the second house, nobody of that name was there. Then she found a, a, a truck standing somewhere driving with this number on it. And he said to me, what is God doing? He says, it doesn't matter if it was the right or the wrong person. The fact that you started to exercise your faith is the thing that counts. You don't have to defend your case. And last, I'm going to say this. It's time that the church becomes an example. You know, wherever Jesus went, crowds followed. Wherever Jesus went, the sick knew that he was there. The rich knew that he was there. The Pharisees and the Sadducees knew that he was there. And you know why? Because when the presence of God enters anywhere, everybody's aware of it. Kathy ministered three weeks ago, where Jesus stepped off the boat onto the island of Capernaum. Who was the first guy that met him? Some guy that had been demon-possessed, that nobody wanted to touch, that was locked in chains. He's the first guy to meet Jesus. And he says, I know you're the answer, you're the way, you're the truth, you're the life, help me. And sometimes I think when Jesus returns, it's not going to be the church that's going to be there to meet him. It's going to be the broken and the hurting and the lost. Those that are so desperate for a change in their lives that they cannot but do anything but fall at the feet of Jesus. I should not be preaching this message to you. I should not be calling you out on this. This should be a lifestyle. This should not be a sermon. This should not be a sermon. This should be who you are. And every day you wake up, get ready to face your faith or face your furnace. Because you've got no case. You either are who God says you are or walk away.
Walk away. Because you know, at the end, the word of God says the simple thing. There's going to be separation in the goats and the sheep. There's going to be no bastards in the middle. There's only two choices we had, heaven and hell. There's no in-between. There's no purgatory where there's a fancy house for you waiting until you make up your mind. There's no choice. I've buried so many people in the last few weeks that it saddens me. Because I know most of them, I know exactly where they're going. They've had no relationship with Jesus. They've had no relationship with the Word of God. No relationship with believers. And I've got to stand up here and go, what, he was a good person. What does Angus Buckham say? Good people don't go to heaven. Believers go to heaven. And I'm tired of lying. And I'm tired of standing up here making like everything's okay. And I'm tired of saying, yeah, it's great to watch online. I'm not picking on you guys. But you know what? Get back to church. Get back to church. When we become complacent, when we become lethargic, when we think that we're the greatest evangelists sitting on our couch, there's a problem. This week, I've got to challenge you. You're going to face your faith and you're going to face your furnace. Choose wisely. Choose wisely. And every decision you need to make this week, I want you to have one thing on your mind. Just one picture. That when you think of him and you see him on that cross, I love Sandy. I love Gloria. I love Sean. I'm so proud of what I'm doing for you right now. I'm not prepared to declare who I am and what to wear. I'm not scared to tell people I'm a believer. I'm anointed, appointed. I have a purpose and a plan and a calling. We're not on the back foot here, church. We're not on the back foot here. We serve a God almighty the creator of the universe. We don't serve some guy that's got a golden tablet or some tomb of some prophet that died 300 years ago or some guy that rewrote the Bible 150 years ago and takes 47 wives. We're not serving that God. We're serving the God that said, let there be, and there was. And he looked at you and he said, let there be, and there you are.